This is the Barbecue Central Radio Show, which is recorded live each Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Barbecue Central Radio Show is being brought to you by The Barbecue Guru, the original creators of automatic temperature control devices, now offering four different models for you to choose from. Rest easy knowing that The Barbecue Guru is controlling your temperature so you can get on with your life. Visit BBQGuru.com or call 800-288-GURU for more information. And by Fred's Music and Tasty Licks BBQ Supply, your online barbecue and grilling superstore. From cookers to grills, wood chips and chunks, and everything in between, also be sure to try the Tasty Licks barbecue brand of rubs and sauces. Check Fred out online at TastyLicksBBQ.com. And by Stephen DeFranco Jewelers. Located in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio, Stephen DeFranco Jewelers is a family-owned and operated business looking to service the great folks of the barbecue and grilling world. Get free shipping and big discounts by mentioning my name and the term Barbecue Brother. Check out their inventory by visiting stephendefranco.com. And by Butcher Barbecue. With 30 years of experience in retail, wholesale, meat markets, food service, and customer service. Using that experience, everything they do and sell at Butcher's Barbecue comes from real-world knowledge. Check out their award-winning spices, sauces, marinades, and injections by visiting ButcherBBQ.com. Always trust your butcher. And by iGrill. The iGrill is a Bluetooth-enabled cooking thermometer that allows you to monitor the temperature of your food and smoker or grill from up to 200 feet away. Using the free iGrill app for your iPhone, iPad, and Android devices, you can set preferred temperatures, and your smart device will alert you when it's ready. It's perfect for cooking steaks to perfection or low and slow smokers overnight. Head to iGrillInc, that's the letter I, grillinc.com to learn more. And by Barbecuer's Delight Wood Pellets, the barbecue wood pellet choice of competition cooks and backyard hacks just like me. The perfect blend of two-thirds oak and one-third flavor wood gives you that right BTU burn and flavor that you're looking to get all over your meat with smoky goodness. Visit BBQRSDelight.com. And by Arno Smokers, a custom pit builder using innovation and art in each of their cutting-edge offset and vault-style barbecue pits. Located in the heart of Texas near Fort Worth, Granberry has been the home to Arno Smokers since the beginning. Arno Smokers has continued to widen its range using visionary planning both on the design level and the quality of craftsmanship to bring their customers the finest custom pits on the market. Please get in contact with Billy, B-I-L-L-I-E underscore R-O-Smokers at Yahoo.com or Tony at Tony underscore R-O-Smokers at Yahoo.com or visit their main website, R, the letter N, the letter O, R-N-O, Smokers.com. And by Green Mountain Grills. Discover something you're really going to love, cooking with pellets. Green Mountain Grills are widely available across the country. Top-of-the-line manufacturing, but not the highest in price. Visit GreenMountainGrills.com to get started on your pellet adventure today. Hi, this is Scott Greenia from Fairfax, Vermont, also known as Scotty DQ, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. 
All right. Good evening and welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. Yeah, it's the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling, broadcasting live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. It is the barbecue Christmas capital of the North Coast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not even kidding. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening. Let me give you some contact information in case you want to jump in on the show tonight. It's a toll-free number, 877-448-0433. You can also email the show if you would like to. Greg1G at thebbqcentralshow.com. Everything else you want to find out about the show is at the website. Signing up for the newsletter, sponsorship opportunities, archives of each and every fashion. It's all right there at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here is what is happening tonight. It's a, it went from a general me talking all the time recap show to per, potentially one of the best shows we've ever had in 2013. And here's what's on tap coming up in about 13 minutes from now. He's a monthly contributor to the show, a barbecue and grilling icon. Stephen Reichland joins me here on the show. That's right, Stephen. Then a first timer, an author. And a book entitled, In Meat We Trust, you will help me welcome Maureen Ogle to the show. And we will talk about uh, that book, what it entails, the inspiration, a little bit about our background, all that good stuff. And then we will move to the second hour. A succulent second hour in tow. Runner-up KCBS Team of the Year Pitmaster Donnie Bray, Warren County Polk Choppers in the building. By telephone. And rounding out the show, you know, they say good things come to those who wait. And I was just waiting along the old computer today and got an email from a guy that said, hey, let's close it out big and strong. I said, you're damn right. So, pitmaster of Pellet Envy, Rod Gray joins me on the show. Yeah. Yeah. So we are uh, locked and loaded. Am I coming across a little hot here on the mic? Hold on one sec. Let me see if I can uh, make a few adjustments. That one looks a little better on the uh, on the bumper meter. Don't want to be over-modulating. Don't want to be under-modulating. Uh, so uh, Rod Gray, Donnie Bray, Maureen Ogle, Stephen Reichlin, all slated to join me during the show this evening, which... Now the drum roll is the last show of the year, folks. That's right. This is the one we close it out on. Let's end on the high note. We all learned from Seinfeld and George Costanza. Sometimes you got to leave on the high note. So why risk the next two weeks? And in reality, of course, given the holidays and so forth, the chances of me drawing any type of audience a week from tonight Slim to none would be gracious eyes. Since you're watching the show right now, do me a solid. Make a Facebook post, make a tweet out on the tweeter that you are watching the show or listening to the show. Some links you want to pass along if you are feeling the gift of giving social media links. Uh, the video side of things can be found a couple different places, outdoorcookingchannel.com. 
You can also get it on Roku and a number of other IP television services. You have to download the Outdoor Cooking Channel app. And then there is a live stream option. And I believe uh, I did a poor job promoting, but what can I tell you? You've got a lot of things going on. There is a uh, holiday bonus channel in Outdoor Cooking Channel that is uh, solely related to holiday cooking. Uh, that might run till the first of the year. Uh, you can listen to the audio stream of the show on the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. Now, now, you can also go to uh, your app stores, depending on what your smart device is, and download TuneIn Radio. You can listen to it right on your tablets, right on your smartphones, just like it was regular radio. Plug it in your auxiliary jack in your car as you're tooling down the road, maybe your full trucker effect. You want to listen to the show, but you don't want to miss your delivery time because you have a $500 bonus sitting on it from the dispatch. I hear you loud and clear. Trucker running your front door, and the cash box is closed on the westbound. you got a Smokey in the middle shooting you in the face with an X-ray. I can talk it with the best of them. Ladies and gentlemen, that's absolutely right. So it's a big show. So help me out. Get the big crowd in. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to iTunes for replays audibly. Uh, YouTube for videos, Outdoor Cooking Channel for video replays as well. Of course, the main Barbecue Central website for replays of all forms and fashions. There's no reason you should ever miss anything on the show. If you hear your friends talk about how great it was a week or two or three ago, just come to the website. You'll be able to pop right in. What can I tell you? It's great. Um, you would recall last week, there's been a couple good weeks of talking about Team of the Year races and how they're coming down to neck-and-neck neck type stuff. And Jim Elser, in all forms and fashions, was probably in a more heated debate than his KCBS brethren. To the point where Jim could have actually grand-championed the event this past weekend in Perry, Florida, and lost, depending on what Hot Wachula's and Big Papa's Country Kitchen, it. that would be Matt Barber, uh, Matt Barber and Dana Hillis, respectively. Well, 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 folks. Jim Elser's bid for Team of the Year. Dashed. Oh. Get that big stuff out of here. Oh, no. We suck again. Look. This is where it becomes crazily crazy. Not to be redundant on the last show of the year. If you didn't go and follow the results or, to be honest, I kind of lost track of it over the weekend, but I have a very good excuse in the fact that I was moving into a house and I was laboring like crazy, breaking my back and knees and soleus muscles. But when I got in the office today, I was like, ah, Jim Elster, I got to go. Went over to Florida Barbecue Association website. And even though, Jim finished ahead of Hot Wachulas, who ended up winning Team of the Year, and Big Papa's Country Kitchen in the overall standings this past weekend. So he finished ahead. So let's say he finished, uh, Jim, I, forgive me, it was, uh, what, 10th place, and then uh, Matt was 11th place, and Big Papa was a couple, two, three, four places below that. So Jim Elser finished ahead overall in the two teams, that were on his heels. And he winds up in second place for Team of the Year standings. Now, this isn't the exact scenario that we talked about with Jim last week where he had the potential of uh, GCing the event and losing Team of the Year. 
But to me, it's pretty damn close. He finished ahead of Hot Wachulas and Big Papa's Country Kitchen in the overall. But lost team of the year. I know there are rules. We live by rules that are applicable to us, and this is what we do. But for the life of me, I don't understand how you don't win team of the year if you finish ahead of the other two teams that are behind you. That is just so damn weird. I mean, I know it's, you know, I'm not trying to compare sanctioning bodies or anything like that. I'm just talking about in the spirit of competition. You know, if you when you're playing the Super Bowl, just because one team has if if you win the game in the overall points, but the other team has less turnovers, the team with less turnovers and fewer points doesn't end up winning the game. He he beat overall, he beat the other two teams. I don't know if we can call a protest or a, a explanation or what. I mean uh, he did a very good look. Jim did a very good job uh, explaining all this uh, last week, but it is just crazy to me in a competition sense to finish ahead of the teams you need to finish of overall, but still lose in the categories. So, regardless of any of all that, uh, congratulations to Jim Elser on a great season. Congratulations to Matt Barber on the win and uh, on the win for a team of the year take. Not the win of uh, this past weekend. And no disrespect on that at all to Matt. Not at all. Not taking anything away from him. But the overall scope of things, I mean, you have to admit, that's weird, right? Would love your take on it as well. Email me. Hit me up in the chat. Crazy, crazy stuff. All right. We are off and running. Stephen Reichlin coming up next. And Maureen Ogle after that. Uh, gang, let me talk to you quickly about Tasty Licks Barbecue Supply. Trusted online retailer, longtime supporter of the show. I keep in constant contact with Fred about what is happening in his shops, and he wants me to tell you that the holidays are right around the corner. He's still got Kamado Joe cookers, Meadow Creek cookers, these spices and sauces and accessories that all the people are loving these days. Are these items in stock ready to ship to you directly? Don't wait another second. Don't be stuck out in the snow like you are up here in the Northeast. Of course, you know by now the Tasty Licks is your big green egg headquarters, including many items for the egg you can't get anywhere else. And these are big green egg items that are in stock. They're ready to ship out to you. Also, Tasty Licks Barbecue Supply now carrying Harry Sue's new chicken rub. Looking for injections? Tasty Licks carries all the big hitters, Butcher's Barbecue, Cosmos Q, every type of barbecue guru. And it's associated accessory. Tasty Licks, a Green Mountain Grill dealer as well. And as Fred says right here on the show when he's on, they provide classes to the public. Fred teaches most of them, always doing some type of cooking on the weekends, maybe even during the week. And then he's bringing in some of the big heavy hitters on the competition scene to give you those competition cooking classes that are all the rage for the last three, four, or five years. Now, attention teams, coming up in 2014, Fred wants you to make Tasty Licks your barbecue competition headquarters. All supplies for competition teams, pans of different sizes, aluminum trays, gloves, thermometers, turn-in boxes for practice. Again, make it your one-stop shop coming up next year. Make that your New Year's resolution. TastyLicksBBQ.com is the place to go for all that. So head on over now. Enjoy the videos that Fred puts up there. Plenty of them to look at. And don't forget, Tasty Licks manufactures and sells their own line of barbecue sauces and rubs as well. 
Got to try those. When you order, drop Fred a line that you heard about him right here on this show. Let him know his support of the show is appreciated. And that is TastyLicksBBQ.com. That's TastyLicksBBQ.com. We will be back with one Stephen Reichland to break down El Prime Ribo. That's uh, prime rib in uh, Spanish for those that don't speak Espanol. Uh, stick around. We'll be right back. Live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. We are back. 877-448-0433. Greg at TheBBQCentralShow.com. My first guest tonight now appears on the show monthly, widely recognized as the most influential person in the industry of barbecue and grilling, an author, cooking class instructor, businessman, a TV show host. Let's race over to the hotline and welcome Stephen Reichlin to the show. Stephen, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well, Stephen. Uh, Stephen, are you getting any echo on your end, by the way? I'm getting a profound echo. You want to call me back? Um, let, me, let me disconnect. I'll uh, try it right back. All right. See, I had a feeling Bob Trudnack gutted through it. Gutted through it last week. It was crazy. I felt so bad for him. Stephen Reichlin. Hey, Steve. Is that better? Much better. All right. Great. Uh, so before we get into the uh, main items for tonight, Stephen, which, uh, of course, is one of my favorites, prime rib, uh, I wanted to get your take on something. Uh, the terms sure. barbecue and grilling have now hit fevered pitch within the industry. There was a time where I thought the two were mutually exclusive and I would make arguments as such. I have another guy on the show who appears once a month who says all live fire cooking falls under this big umbrella, which is barbecue, and I have since adopted the phrase let's call it outdoor live fire cooking to use on and off air now. And as someone who has seen outdoor cooking done all over the world in many different fashions and wrote numerous books on the topic, uh, how do you define the terms barbecue or grilling or does there not need to be a definition at all? Well, that person you described sounds very much like me. Uh, And in my book, Barbecue Bible, uh, that's actually the definition I give. Uh, It really depends where you are. You know, if you're someone from Texas or the Deep South, your notion of barbecue is very specific. It refers to a method. It refers to a temperature. It refers to the presence of wood smoke. Uh, If, on the other hand, you live in California or you live uh, on the East Coast, when you say barbecue, you likely are referring to grilling, which is a direct high heat method. Uh, You're possibly referring to the low and slow smoking method that a southerner would call barbecue. Uh, So I guess the term that I've sort of come up with is live fire cooking. 
And my universe usually takes place outside, but uh, I have an interest in cooking in a fireplace over a wood fire. To me, that has more in kin with uh, a notion of uh, a barbecue sometimes than, let's say, cooking on a gas grill or certainly than cooking on some of these new infrared grills. Is it uh, myopic of Americans to think that barbecue is natively uh, our type of cuisine? Well, uh, if you're talking about grilling, uh, it's very myopic. I mean, grilling is, you know, it's uh, almost 2 million years old. Uh, It's practiced uh, at least on six continents. Uh, seventh, and if you include some cookout sessions that have been done in Antarctica by scientists who bravely fire up grills at minus 40 degree temperatures. If, on the other hand, you're talking about an indirect, low heat, uh, intense wood smoking experience like uh, that a Texan would use to smoke a brisket or a North Carolinian would use to smoke a pork shoulder, Uh, You might say that that sort of barbecue is uniquely American. However, even that gets complicated because, you know, we sing the low and slow mantra, but in fact there are a lot of pitmasters in Texas who are cooking their meats at 350 or 400 degrees. Um, So, you know, is that more like grilling? I mean, uh, the rendezvous in Memphis, uh, which is described as classic barbecue, doesn't use wood at all. The configuration of their pit uh, is a bed of charcoal at the bottom, uh, the ribs positioned on a rack directly over the fire, although about 18 to 20 inches above the fire. So, you know, is that direct grilling? That's the configuration for direct grilling. Uh, and yet I don't think anyone argued that, would argue that that's not classic, uh, a classic example of American barbecue. So I guess what I'm saying is that it's a – it's a slippery term. Uh, I try and be as uh, as inclusive, all-inclusive as possible. Stephen Reichlin joining me here on the show. BarbecueBible.com is website if you want to check it out. Lots of great information there while we're talking. Uh, Stephen, Christmas next week, obviously, for many, besides getting gifts, it's another big food day like the one that just passed in November. Uh, many will prepare or at least try their hand at a prime rib. So, Things we know right up front, potentially as intimidating as the Thanksgiving turkey as far as cooking. And I would venture to say that if you're going to white necklet, uh, white knuckle it, this should be the one that you do because of cost. And when it's cooked well, there's probably not a more sublime piece of protein uh, that would be harder to beat than this one. So let's make sure we steer folks in the right direction for next week. And we start with some things to consider before we even start cooking it. Maybe a, a little bit of a definition of prime rib to start. So, uh, well, prime rib is uh, basically a section of the steer's rib cage. Uh, The largest cut of a prime rib includes seven ribs. Uh, Typically, what you'll find at the supermarket is three to four ribs. That will give you roughly uh, three ribs will give you about a six or seven pound roast, and four ribs will give you about an eight to ten pound roast. And... um, what I love about prime rib is that it is incredibly opulent. It seems incredibly challenging and complicated, but you know what? It's really easy. It's really easy. I will often make a prime rib when I have unexpected company and I don't have time to do anything else. I don't have time to smoke a brisket or uh, or, or smoke a shoulder cloth. 
And the preferred method that I use is uh, spit roasting. To me, there is no better way to cook a prime rib than on the rotisserie. Ideally, on a charcoal rotisserie, that requires, the, if you've got a kettle grill, that requires the purchase of a rotisserie collar that goes on a kettle grill. But the beauty of spit roasting a prime rib is, first of all, that slow, gentle rotation based the meat with its own fat. Second of all, if you're working on charcoal, you can talk, toss a handful of soaked wood chips on the coals, and so you lightly smoke the outside of the prime rib. Uh, crusty on the outside, as rare as, you know, not rare as you want on the inside. And the cooking time is relatively short. You're looking at about hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half. All right, uh, Stephen Reichlin talking with us about prime rib. Um, we'll get a little bit more into the cooking process here in just a few minutes, Stephen, but when we're looking at it, if we go to, you know, preferably a, a local butcher, if you have one, I know, you know, in some places those are kind of dying off and you're forced to either just go to the box grocery store or the big box stores like a Sam's Club or a BJ's, what have you. There always is that uh, decision argument in our culture, of course, the choice versus prime. I mean, you could even go up into the, you know, Wagyu cuts or the uh, certified Angus, you know, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, when we look at these different levels, uh, how does one decide which prime rib level to look at and buy? Well, on one level, that's governed by your budget. On another level, it's, uh, I guess, governed by a notion of connoisseurship. Uh, you may be surprised to hear me say this, but I usually cook a choice prime rib over a prime prime rib. Uh, what I do like is when we can get dry-aged prime rib uh, that adds a whole complex layer of flavor. Uh, to the extent possible, my wife and I personally try and cook organic or grass-fed prime rib. But it's a very forgiving cut, and this is a, a point that I want to drive home to people. Um, you know, if you there's a huge difference between... Uh, a choice T-bone or porterhouse and a prime T-bone or porterhouse. Uh, there is, with those steaks, there's a lot that can go wrong. You can screw up a lot. It's pretty hard. If you have a good instant read meat thermometer, it's pretty hard to screw up a prime rib. Stephen, when you're talking about dry aging, and I'd like to kind of hit those uh, little sub-features a little bit more in depth, too, here in a minute, but dry aging, you know, you hear about it. I don't know if uh, the majority of the people that are more peripheral into this industry or fans of the show, you know, they hear about it. Uh, they might see that option at a butcher's uh, place where they say dry aging available. You know, what's the process and what does it add to the beef that you're buying taste-wise, texture, feel in the mouth, that kind of stuff? Well, basically it, it, it affects, first of all, the dry age, you know, this is not something you do in your refrigerator, you really need a proper meat locker. You hang the beef unwrapped, uh, and over the space of, let's say, a month or six weeks of dry aging, two basic things happen. Number one is there's a process of evaporation where some of the water in the prime rib evaporates, which concentrates the flavor of the meat that's left. The second thing that happens is there are enzymes in the meat that ripen and develop in flavor, much the way a cheese develops in flavor as you ripen it. And so aged beef will have a richer flavor. It'll have a, 
So sometimes that flavor will border on funky, but it's a more intense, matured, if you like a ripe cheese, if you like an old cheese, an aged Parmesan, if you like your wines with a decade's worth of age on them, chances are you will like uh, a dry-aged prime beef. And let's make a point that there's a difference between dry aging, which is this evaporation process, and wet aging, where a hunk of meat is cryovac and plastic and aged. And that gives you a very different flavor, much less complex, much less nuanced. Now, coming, let's come back to that evaporation for a minute. So when you dry age a prime rib and you lose uh, water to the evaporation, you have less meat to sell for the same uh, – you, you pay one price, but in fact you lose volume and weight on the meat in the dry aging process. So that accounts for its more expensive price. The other thing is, as you're dry aging, the outside tissue becomes dry and it needs to be trimmed away. So that's a further degree of loss uh, and, and a further reason why the price is more expensive. By the way, that full prime rib is comprised of the sixth to the twelfth rib of the steer. The dry aging, is it something that, you know, if you have access to it, it's worth giving it a go, and if it's something you like, obviously you can continue if you want to pay the premium. Uh, but if not, you've at least tried to expand that palate. Well, I'll tell you what. Super easy way to do it. If you live in a city that has a Whole Foods, in the Whole Foods meat department, uh, they almost always they have a meat locker where you can watch meat dry aging. So we bought some New York strips a few weeks ago, which is my favorite cut of, uh, of steak. And uh, we tried one dry-aged steak, which uh, I think was maybe 25 bucks, and then we tried a non-dry-aged New York strip, which was maybe 15 bucks. And we tried them side by side, and the dry-aged beef, yes, had a much more complex flavor. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the favorite of everybody at the at the uh, a table. Some people like the kind of direct, direct, real sanguine meatiness of the non-dry aged beef. But that's a that's an easy way to try it and see if you like it. You know, I would recommend doing that before I would buy a dry aged prime rib, which can set you back a few hundred bucks. You know, the other thing that you'd mentioned was grass-fed versus grain-fed. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you go into a butcher's shop or wherever you're buying your meat and it says, hey, this cut is grass-fed, this cut is grain-fed. Is that something you're going to have to ask the uh, the meat purveyor? Well, you are, and where you tend to find grass-fed beef, again, is at a Whole Foods. I mean, I'm trying to think nationally, or at an individual market or at a uh, farmer's market sometimes. uh, They'll sell it. And, you know, grass-fed is one of those real grave moral dilemmas for me. Uh, I I, want to like it. I want to love it. I want to eat it. I want to believe in it because grass is the natural diet of a steer. And in a way, feeding a steer a grain diet, as we do for the most part in the United States, causes alimentary problems that have to be remedied sometimes with antibiotics. It's not the natural diet. However, grass-fed beef lacks a certain richness, a certain buttery mouthfeel that you find in grain-fed beef. So, you know, I want to like it, but blindfolded probably if you put a grain-fed piece of beef in front of me and a grass-fed piece of beef, uh, blindfolded, I would probably pick the uh, the grain-fed beef. 
Stephen Reichland, there's a compromise. Sometimes people will raise beef, you know, two years on grass, and then the last six months on grain to finish it. That's right. Uh, Stephen Reichland joining me here on the show, barbecuebible.com, the website. Uh, and you can get all of this uh, great prime rib talk at length on that website as well. Uh, Stephen, as far as, you know, once you get it, you know, I know you're kind of a fan of that uh, French knife work. And if you are a perfectionist or you're really looking to make that ultimate presentation, this is something you would really want to consider, whether you're doing it yourself or if you're asking a butcher to take care of that for you. Yeah, and Frenching is just scraping the ends of the rib bones clean with a paring knife so that they look attractive. And I think historically, at least so legend holds it, is that you could pick up the rib by the end of the bone and it would be clean. Uh, it's, you know, it's just an aesthetic thing that doesn't really alter the taste. And are you a, uh, on the website it said bind and dominate. What does that uh, exactly mean? Yeah, that's actually uh, tying the rib up with butcher string in between each rib. And what this does is, if you look at the anatomy of a rib, there's a there's a cap of fat that sort of runs through that divides the eye of the muscle and uh, what's called the, the, the cap of the muscle, which is a more heavily marbled piece. Uh, of tissue. Actually, the Latin name is spinalis dorsi. And if you've ever had a slice of prime rib where it seems like there's a gap between that center, big center rosy piece, and then the the very rich top, tying helps pull those fault, get rid of that fault line and pull the meat together. And then here's an important part, and I'm glad you mentioned it in your blog post, is you know, this is a big, rich cut of meat. It's going to taste really good, but you don't want to skimp on the seasoning, right? I mean, you really want to get after it. You want to season the death? You know, not season it a lot. <laughs> and there are two basic approaches. Uh, you know, you can go the Texas brisket rub, which is just salt and pepper in equal proportions, rubbed over the outside of the prime rib. That is great. Uh, you can make a paste of salt, pepper, garlic, rosemary, sage. That is delicious. Uh, the other method you can use is you can stud the prime rib. You use, say, with the tip of a um, paring knife, you make a series of holes about one inch apart and a half inch deep. And in some of those holes, you insert slivers of garlic. Some of those holes, you insert little sprigs of rosemary. Sometimes I'll put little slivers of Parmesan cheese. Because it's such a big cut of meat, it can handle that sort of uh, big hunks of seasoning. Now, in the end, and I'm sure there's a bunch of debate depending on what kind of people you have or who you're going to be serving in the house. Uh, I know this would fall specifically to me, for example. Uh, what's your target temperature? Because obviously, you know, the farther out you are from the middle, there's going to be uh, varying temperatures, if you will, from center to working your way out. Well, I go for about 135 degrees, which is medium rare. I figure if somebody likes it more well done, like my wife, you give them an end cut or a cut toward the end. And remember, the roast is going to continue to cook after you pull it off. You want to rest the roast at least 15 to 20 minutes before you carve it and serve it. Uh, Stephen Reichlin joining me here on the show. Again, if you want the uh, the full in-depth methods here, uh, visit barbecuebible.com. There's a multiple-part series on the 
a prime rib cooking, the prep, and then the cooking process. Uh, Stephen, before we let you go tonight, I did want to talk to you a little bit. Obviously, you know, following Christmas, New Year's, everybody likes to talk about barbecue resolutions. And I uh, didn't know if you were putting together one, two, or 15 new barbecue resolutions for the 2014 year. Well, I am, and in fact, that will be the subject of uh, our next blog. Uh, and I'll, I actually put together 10, but I'll tell you what, I'll give you sort of my, my highlight blogs. I'll give you, give you a few for the public at large, and then I'll give you two personal resolutions uh, that I have made this year. All right. So my first general one is up your game at the grill. And what I mean by that is if you were a gas griller, try grilling on charcoal. If you normally grill with briquettes or match-like charcoal, try grilling on natural lump charcoal. If you are a die-hard charcoal griller, give a shot at grilling over wood. You know, you can buy wood chunks at a barbecue store or hardware store and light the wood chunks in a chimney starter the way you would charcoal and you can grill over wood. So that's the first idea, sort of incrementally up your game. Now, another thing I'm recommending is if you are a one-grill family, and this is budget and finances permitting, uh, try and become a two-grill family this year. And I'm thinking of all, uh, all you guys and gals that have gas grills, and gas grills are great, they're convenient, but you can't really smoke on a gas grill. So invest in an inexpensive charcoal grill. Now, another one... Uh, is to try something new. Try a, gris, a, di- grill, a dish you've never grilled this year. Maybe it's rabbit. Maybe it's sweetbreads. Maybe it's a whole fish. Maybe it's tofu. Maybe it's cooking a dessert on the grill or smoker. But, you know, we, uh, most of us sort of tend to fall in the same three or four dishes we grill over and over again. So this year, try something different. And the next one, I'm sure, is going to raise a few eyebrows and cause a little gnashing of teeth on uh, uh, among your listeners and in this barbecue community. But try and follow Meatless Monday at least once during the coming year. Now, Meatless Monday is a movement that sort of encourages people to not eat meat one day a week on Monday. The advantages of that are, first of all, for your own personal health, you know, meat eating is delicious and soul satisfying, but it's uh, a, a strictly carnivorous diet is not terribly good for your cardiovascular system. The second thing is that meat is a lot more energy uh, consuming uh, than plant foods. So if everyone in the world skipped meat once a week, it would save a lot more energy and natural resources. And by the way, this is not a new idea. During World War I, uh, they came up with the first Meatless Monday as a way to uh, conserve food so we'd have more for the troops. So try it once. You may not like it. You know, whenever I write about it, I mean, I always get an enormous amount of flack. But my daughter is a nutritionist. She's bringing up her, uh, her kids on Meatless Monday, and I think it's just worth considering. Stephen Reichlin is a multiple-time author, a TV show host, cooking class instructor. You find him here on this show once a month as well, which I am most appreciative of. Uh, Stephen, wishing you and yours a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and thanks so much for coming on tonight. Absolutely. Grill on and happy holidays. You got it. There he is, Stephen Reichlin, ladies and gentlemen, barbecue 
Bible.com is the website. And again, all that information as far as the prime rib is concerned on the uh, BarbecueBible.com website. That's Stephen Reichlin right there on this show. Yeah, baby. All right, before we get to Maureen Ogle, we're going to talk about Butcher Barbecue. Hey, going to do some prime rib? Want some uh, different advice? Want uh, another ear to bend? Why not reach out to Dave Bosco from Butcher Barbecue? Uh, easiest way to step that barbecue and grilling game up. Stephen talked about stepping it up. Why not do it this way? Using injections. We all know Butcher's well-known for the pork, the beef, now the prime injection. Of course, Bird Booster, which is taking over the poultry scene. Um, you know, that brisket injection, the beef, using award-winning flavor enhancers, its ability to keep your brisket juicy, then uh, combining it with what has become the competition standard in beef flavor, now available for sale at ButcherBBQ.com. That's the prime injection. Now, if you've been looking for the go-to rubs or sauces, you found the mother load here as well. Butcher Barbecue has a full line of award-winning rubs and sauces. One of my personal favorite rubs is that steak and brisket rub. Uh, but you'll find me dousing my ribs or pork with that honey rub. Of course, you have the premium rub, which works hand-in-hand with the injection. A perfect one-two punch to impress judges and friends alike. And, geez, last but not least, right? Butcher's Barbecue and that sweet barbecue sauce. They talk about it each and every week. Look, when it comes to sauce, I'm as picky as it gets. And Butcher's Barbecue sweet sauce wins in every category for me. Not overly sweet. A nice slice of tang. Just the right amount of back-end heat as well. And for crying out loud, no liquid smoke. Dave took the time and effort to make a quality sauce and didn't take the easy way out like a lot of those mass producers do when they use the devil's urine, better known as liquid smoke. Grab a box of six. It's going to go fast, I guarantee and no worries about breaking the bank when it comes to shipping either. Items totaling up to $55 ship at $8.50. Between $55 and $200, $9.75. Anything over $200 ships for free. So head on over to ButcherBBQ.com. That's ButcherBBQ.com and stock up now. Again, don't forget to try the Bird Booster. And if you have been disappointed by another commercial injection, not Dave's, go to that website, print off the trade-in link, slip. Send in the balance of your commercially made rub. Dave will weigh it and then send you back at your behest the pork, the prime, the beef, or the bird booster. Making you happy, making his own customers happy, making the competition's customers happy. Man, it's a genius. Butcher barbecue. That's why I always say, always trust your butcher. We're back with Marine Ogle right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. In the smoke. Call 877-448-0433 to get on the air. Now, here's your host, Greg Rampey. Big B, All right, we are back. 877-448-0433. Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com, and next guest, an author. And her latest effort is entitled In Meat We Trust. I was approached by a uh, PR firm about a potential interview, and I said, Hey, why not? This show is quite focused on meat for the majority of the time, but uh, butchers who sponsor the show for crying out loud. So why not have a segment about meat to fire everybody up? So let's go ahead and race over to the hotline and welcome first-timer to the show, Maureen Ogle, joining me here on the Barbecue Central Show. Maureen, how are you? 
I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fabulous, Marine. Appreciate you making time for the show tonight. And I guess before we get into the book, In Meat We Trust, uh, maybe a little background about you uh, for the folks that uh, maybe aren't familiar or just you know, are too myopic and just stick in this little barbecue niche that we've carved out for ourselves. Uh, you know, where are you coming from and uh, what are you into? Uh, well, I, I don't think anybody's myopic about it. And you're right. I'm sure most of your audience is probably really wanting to know what kind of barbecue sauce I use, except I bet real barbecue people don't use real barbecue sauce. Correct. Um, I'm, a, I'm a historian. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm a historian. This is my fourth book, and I decided that this time around I would write a, a book that looked at meat in American history. It's not a book about barbecue and specific, you know, specifically. And in fact, I don't look at that at all. I was more interested in the, the, the general topic of meat and the reason we have a barbecue culture or subculture and that rates a, a podcast like this is that uh, we have a lot of meat in America. Uh, Maureen, have your other efforts been like consumer driven? Are they? Is this kind of a, a divergence from what you would uh, normally write about, or is this pretty much right in the wheelhouse? No, no, no. This is. Um, I'm, I'm again. I'm a historian, and my I, I study American history, American society, and uh, my last book, for example, was a history of beer in America. I'm really just sort of trying to figure out what it is that makes Americans tick. And uh, frankly, if you want to know something about <laughs> Americans. We eat more meat than anybody else in the world, so I thought, well, hey, I could bet I could learn something from this. So I did, and and of course, I, I in the process of writing the book, I became aware that there's a tremendous debate about meat. I don't know how aware um, your your audience is about that. A lot of people would prefer that none of us eat meat. Uh, a lot of people think that the way meat is produced is evil and awful and we should stop doing it. I, I don't actually have an opinion about for that one way or the other. I was mostly interested to know how it is that we got to be the biggest meat eaters in the world. So uh, I guess how how does that or where does the idea or I mean obviously there's always like a, a cataclysmic event whether you're a host of a show whether you're an author where you're like hey boom this just makes sense to me and, and now I got to go find out about it. Was there a precipitous event that happened to you that decided yeah. that this was going to be the time to test yeah. that out? Yeah, and, and you're going to now think I'm crazy after I tell you, <laughs> but but that's okay. I'm going to tell you anyway, because after all, you're a guy who's doing a show about barbecues. So right. Who, who's more crazy than me? Kind of... I'm a kook. Right. <laughs> um, in 2006, it took me seven years to do this book. In 2006, I had just finished the book about beer. And it, would, it went off to the press, the printer, and I knew I had about six weeks to come up with a new book idea before the beer book came out. So I had this little span of time, and I really wanted to come up with a new book idea, which in my case consisted of me laying on my living room floor, staring at the ceiling, trying to think, well, not actually trying not to think. I, I really let my brain do the heavy lifting when it comes to stuff like this. I know if I wait long enough my brain's going to give me a good idea. So one day, about seven days into this process of just staring at the ceiling, um, I had this image of being in a helicopter flying over the King Ranch in Texas. Now, i got to tell you, honestly, I don't even know how I knew there was a King Ranch in Texas. It's a gigantic cattle operation in South Texas, huge, one of the biggest in the world. I have no idea why I even thought about that. So I thought, okay, brain, you know, enough of this irrelevant stuff. Let's get back to business. The next day, I'm laying there staring at the ceiling, and my brain shows me this image of the Western Range, 
right? I've been to the West. So, you know, there's mountains in the distance, blah, blah, blah. And, and right in the foreground of this image that I'm seeing is this, this pole stuck in the ground with a wooden a piece of wood nailed to it. And on the wood is this sign, is, is the one word Abilene. And I thought, oh, man, come on, really? Go away, brain. You know, give me something serious here. The next day I had exactly the same image. And that was one, finally when I thought, oh, maybe meat would be a really interesting thing to research. And sure enough, it was absolutely fascinating. So that's where the idea came from. And yes, I am apparently close to being certifiable. <laughs> well, I'm always interested in, you know, whoever I'm talking to, I always like to hear where the inspiration comes of. And uh, this is uh, certainly yeah, not a disappointment. Know. Come, you know, it can just come from anywhere. You you don't know. you got to, like, be ready for it, right? Yeah. And uh, certainly this was the one that took your fancy. So, you know, as you get into the research, and obviously, you know, when the country started out, it's uh, nothing like it was uh, as you fast forward to 2013, now almost 2014. Back then, how was the meat culture and, and how, I know it's kind of a, a big fast forward to do, but how in your studies have you seen it grow to, you know, where it was maybe even 10 years ago? And obviously, Maybe within a, a 10 to 12 year time span between where we are now and 10 years ago, there has been a somewhat of a, a different movement of artisanal beefs and wanting to know where the beef has come. Right. Is it humane and blah, blah, blah. But prior to that, you know, where did we go from kind of like a beginning to that huge meat packing craziness? Well, in interestingly, now, again, I need to stress that I didn't know anything at all about meat. In fact, I've spent most of my adult life being a vegetarian. I ha I've not even been a meat eater that long. So I, I really knew absolutely nothing, and, and I prefer that because I don't want to have an agenda. I just kind of want to go into something with a blank slate. So I, I thought, okay, where am I going to start this book? And I really, out of sort of idle curiosity more than anything else, I thought, well, I'm just going to find out what people in the colonial period, you know, before the United States was the United States, what were colonial settlers doing? And that, I found, turned out to be, believe it or not, 400 years ago, the key to our meat culture now. I discovered that when the settlers who uh, came to North America from England and settled along the eastern seaboard, when they got here, they were uh, really uh, experienced culture shock because there was so much land. They came from a, from the old world where both land and food were chronically in short supply. They get here and there's infinite amount of land and they realize they can eat meat whenever they want, which they had not been able to do. H historically and even today, most people in the world don't eat very much meat because they don't have access to it. So these people get over here and they discover all this land and decide, hey, we're going we're gonna to turn this land to livestock. And that ended up causing a tremendous amount of conflict with Native Americans because Native Americans who lived along the eastern seaboard did not keep any domestic livestock at all. They, they had a few dogs, which they used, you know, in the, I mean, they had the same relationship to dogs that we do. They didn't eat them. And they also ate game, mostly venison. But they kept no cattle, no hogs. They kept absolutely no domestic livestock. And the white people who came here said, hey, here's the deal. If you don't keep, if you don't practice livestock husbandry, you're not entitled to use the land. We're going to take it. And that set off a lot of conflict. But from the colonial period, long before the American Revolution, I discovered, I didn't discover, I learned that Americans um, had this 
very well-developed sense of entitlement that, yes, they were going to eat meat, and that was what was going to make them different from everybody else in the world. And people who came over to visit, even before the, the revolution, were flabbergasted at how much meat there was. By the 1880s, 1890s, you know, fast forward now 100 and 200 years, um, Americans had built an enormous infrastructure to supply meat at a very low cost. Americans were already then the biggest meat eaters in the world, and, and it just, you know, we, we have systematically over a 400-year period built this immense infrastructure for supplying meat, and there's such an abundance of it that we can have something like a barbecue culture, which, you know, is a, is a big subculture in the United States, a culinary subculture. Uh, we, we, are really, we really have a well-developed sense of entitlement about meat. Is it, uh, well, that was... Uh... So great! I have a billion different questions in my head right now. So, you know, because we have developed the, the you know the sense of entitlement, as you said, and that infrastructure of beef, and then having a a plethora of beef to eat every day if you wanted to, five times a day if you wanted to. If you wanted, yeah. <laughs> you know, there there was uh, more and more as we learn. You know, you, you don't want to eat beef all the time. And uh, the guest I just had on previously said, "Hey, cut it out once a week. Have meatless Monday." Uh, his daughter's a uh, a dietitian. Uh, was it a year or so ago? You were hearing about things like pink slime, and you know, I have friends within this industry that are you know butchers or they're involved in the meat business, and they've told me under no uncertain terms that say, "Hey, you know, if you want to continue to eat." the beef and the meat that you're eating, you're going to have these things like pink slime or, because, you know, you just can't keep making, you know, meat like crazy. You have to have something that, uh, I don't want to say, supplements the weight of the product or uh, allows you to continue to eat beef, but it might not be at the uh, quality levels that you might be thinking you're getting it at. I, I, that, that's right. I mean, th- th- here, here's the deal. Beef, let's just talk beef, since that's probably well. You probably you got you know barbecue also involves pork, well poultry too. Um, beef, but let's just focus on beef. Yeah. Any meat packer will tell you that the carcass itself, the fresh beef that, of the cuts that Americans prefer, it it does not pay for itself. The only way to pay, to make that affordable, all that really wonderful, those really great cuts of beef, you have to focus on byproducts. And you have to strip all the inefficiencies out. And, and the reason for a so-called pink slime, the technical term is actually lean, finely textured beef, that was and is a method of stripping every bit of scrap off of the carcass. You know, even the most skilled butcher can't get everything off. And the guy who developed the pink slime technology, I, I shouldn't even use the phrase, lean, finely textured beef, his idea was he was going to take carcasses and he, he was going to use, he used centrifugal force, of all things, to extract every single bit of scrap, every tiny bit of meat protein off of a carcass, and the centrifugal force actually um, sort of blows out all the gristle and the tendons and, and much of the fat. So what you're left with, what that so-called pink slime is, is 100% beef, but it's very, very, very... The finest, you know, it's just everything taken off of the carcass. So when you're done, all you've got left is the bone. And that does, in fact, help make meat affordable. And then what this guy did was compress these bits into, a blo- into blocks, and then he sold them 
to other beef processors who would mix it to make low-fat, lean, very lean ground beef because the stuff he was making is pure, pure, very, very lean beef. There's no fat in it. And Americans are pretty picky about hamburger. They want a very particular blend of, you know, fat and lean. And that's what the product went for. And and yet somehow this is a horror. I mean, only in a society like ours where we have an incredible abundance of food in general and meat in particular, only in our society would we complain about, in effect, using technology to be very frugal and save money for everybody. So everybody at every income level can afford it. I, I mean, the irony is, I think, rich. I I'm just kind of boggled my mind at the time. Uh, Maureen Ogle joining me here on the show. The website, by the way, MaureenOgle.com. You can buy this book, In Meat We Trust, at Amazon.com. And uh, I'm sure there's a number of other outlets, too, but I did Google it oh, on any, Amazon. Any, any bookstore, yeah. Any, any bookstore anywhere. Yeah, there you go. Um, let me ask you something. As you went back and, and did study and all this, did you find that over time the breeds of beef changed? Oh, yes. Yeah, that that actually, I, ironically, I just got back today from, um, I drove down to Missouri from Iowa where I live to talk to some uh, beef producers who are very interested in learning more about their own history. And I told them what I'm now going to tell you. When I, when I started working on the book, I realized this topic was so big that I had to just leave some stuff out. And I figured out right away that the whole business of livestock breeding, forget it. It, it is a mammoth mammoth topic. I, I would be, you know, I'd have to live to the age of 200 if I was going to include that in the book as well and do justice. Oh, livestock breeding. Americans have really, um, they have borrowed from livestock um, strains all over the world, and they've been doing this for 400 years. I and mean, we, we have a very, very rich livestock breeding history in this country. And these days, the breeding is being done at the DNA level. But of course, for you know the, most of the last 400 years, that's, it, it was certainly not DNA level. But yeah, we, especially beef breeding, that, that's, a, that's a biggie in this country. Yeah, we're, we're um, really masters of that game. You know, I had mentioned it a couple minutes ago, uh, and this will be the last question before I let you go, and I appreciate the time tonight. Um, you know, I found that maybe over the last, uh, you know, four or five years that I've been doing the show, uh, there was a, a definitive small, uh, no pun, grassroots movement uh, a handful of years ago where artisanal beef people were hitting the market with their own uh, grass-fed beef. And what I kind of akened it to, because I am kind of a wine lover at heart, uh, is you you were able to take this piece of beef that you have and you were able to kind of track it all the way back to uh, where it was raised, how it was slaughtered, what it was fed on, what it was finished on. Is that something that you see continuing to gain popularity or has that kind of peaked and fallen off already? Oh, not, not even a little bit. No. Um, in fact, um, for, until the late 1970s, beef was the, the, the most eaten meat by Americans. And then due to various new ideas about health and diet and so on and so forth, starting in the late 70s, American beef consumption actually fell off a cliff. And I'm, I mean, really, it just fell off a cliff between about 1976 and 1986. And it, it has never regained its top position. Now, today, um, Americans eat more poultry. What is growing, though, in the beef market, if you just sort of isolate it and look at it, what is growing in that market, the only growth in that market, 
is that very high end. These artisanal, grass-fed beef products, things like Angus beef, which is uh, rarefied to a very high degree in the United States. But, for example, among grass, um, a gra- grass feeders who are you know, making that kind of beef, um, it, it is a very highly specialized, you know, you can get you can get beef that's been fed on this kind of grass, and you can get beef that's fed on that kind of grass. And I've talked to beef producers about it, and they feel that this is the only growth area that there's going to be in the beef market for, you know, time to come. They don't they don't see any growth really in the beef commodity market, just plain old you know conventional beef. It's it, beef only is growing at the very very high end now. Maureen Ogle joining me here on the show. Uh, she is the author of In Meat We Trust. Again, you can get that at any bookstore or uh, save yourself the effort and go to Amazon.com and search In Meat We Trust and visit MaureenOgle.com. Buy the beef book, buy the beer book, and then have a steak and drink beer while you're reading both. That's what I say. There you go. Why Thank not? You. That's um, exactly right. You've got it. Maureen, got I, it. Uh, I really appreciate the time tonight. I wish you happy holidays. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's lots more to go on this topic, so I'd love to have you back on if you're amenable. That'd be great. That'd be great. Thanks very much, Greg. Yeah, you I got it. it. Thank you. That is Maureen Ogle. MaureenOgle.com is the uh, website. I think I just made a pitch for her. Hey, buy the beer book, have a beer. Buy the meat book, have a steak. Eat, drink, and read. That's what I was. Forget drinking and driving. Drinking and reading is where it's cool, kids. All right, I'm really behind. So... Pardon me, but as I tell you about my good friend Stephen DeFranco at Stephen DeFranco Jewelers, uh, it's it's next week, folks. It's Christmas, and you've screwed it up again. Well, maybe you haven't lost out yet. Uh, you visit StephenDeFranco.com, or better yet, just call them now, 440-943-2700. That's 440-943-2700. And say, Stephen, I'm on a mission. I've screwed it up. I could not do it again this year. I'm going to be hitting the bricks. I am on the way out. And he will listen to you. He will meet your needs, meet your budget, and not try and oversell you on crap. Forget about that. Uh, he is my jeweler. I've done much business with him. So have top men in the industry, and you should too. StephenDeFranco.com, 440-943-2700. We're back right after this. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, sir, we are back. Uh, again, by the way, uh, if you didn't get it on the way out, Stephen DeFranco's uh, website, Stephen D I F R A N C O. Stephen DeFranco, and the phone number four four zero nine four three twenty seven hundred. We're going to step away real quick. We'll reload for the second hour. Donnie Bray will join us. Talk about his twenty thirteen season. Rod Gray will help me close out the year. And your phone calls and emails, should you see fit, Greg at the BBQ Central Show dot com eight seven seven. Four four eight zero four three three. You are listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Radio Network.
Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Fine, how's it going? You have a great show of a big fan. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono! It's all about the Charbono, dude! Succulent fish! What? We ate 54 wieners. But listen, Laverne, it's chick feast. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seeds. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. Ooh, top men. All right, just like that, we're in the second out. Biggity boo! Uh, 877-448-0433. Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com. Again, still to come tonight, Donnie Bray from Warren County Pork Choppers. He's up next. Uh, Rod Gray from Pellet Envy will help me close out the show and the year. Uh, thanks again to my first hour guests. If you missed it, you can go back to the archives, the BBQ Central Show.com, and then hit the uh, archives, past shows, or whatever the hell I call it on there. I don't pay any attention to the website. Uh, we chatted up with Stephen Reichlin from BarbecueBible.com. We talked in depth about the prime rib. Stephen actually uh, took credit for the live fire cooking uh, junket, uh, but I, I, I don't know if I if he thought I was leading him down the primrose path of uh, me saying he did something. I was trying to uh, throw Meathead under the bus, but that didn't work out for me. Uh, Meathead will be making his return in the second week of January and every month after that, the second week. The second Tuesday of every month, it'll be Meathead here on the show. And uh, if so, look, if you uh, wanted to get his take on prime rib and how to cook it and all the suggestions that he had, go to his website, barbecuebible.com, and everything is listed out there. It's uh, at least a two, maybe three-part blog post, so it's all laid out in sections over time. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very well-written and a lot smoother website than it was five, six years ago. So uh, he's changed the tone of it, cleaned it up, made it not so busy, and it's uh, quite a nice read. At least a lot. I mean, it was a nice read before, but it's a lot nicer, more convenient, and easy on the eyes read than it was uh, five years ago. And then we closed up the first hour with Maureen Ogle talking about her book In Meat We Trust. And pretty much how once we got over here and realized we had the conditions to uh, eat as much beef as we wanted, it was gorge time, baby. Yeah, give me beef. I want beef eight days a week, seven days a week. Give me that beef, bitch. I got beef. But it's tapered. You know, 86, bottom dropped out, boom. Stuff out of now it's the artisanal beefs. This is a uh, Cleveland Browns beer, better known as uh, Death Potion. Oh, that's Frosty Cold. Frosty goodness. Programming note, just in case you weren't here last week or you didn't get the podcast or whatever reason that was, uh, there are no more Wednesday show, period. We suck again. Uh, That's just not going to happen anymore. Just come back here Tuesdays, relax, have fun, enjoy, and then go on with the rest of your week, however you do it. Also, 
I was getting a lot of emails, oh, was it two weeks ago or three weeks ago when John Marcus was on the show? And I talked to him about me being a hypocrite and blah, blah, blah. And every people were have been piling in with the emails. I wasn't going to address, but why not? Um, who won't do the show anymore? Many have asked. Just tell me. I won't tell anybody. Yeah, right. I'm not falling for that one. Let's just say we know what rule number... What's rule number one of the show? Which applies here? No names, please. No names. What's uh, rule number two of the show? If it's free, it's me. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And what is rule number three of the show? If you can't sell your... How, how does it go in Glengarry Glen Ross? You work the leads. You close those leads. You can't close shit. You are shit. Hit the bricks, pal, and beat it, because you are on your way out. That's rule number three. We should get a list of rules on the show. That'd be a good idea. We can start... Rules of the show. There you go. Then whenever I go, hey, rule number five, folks, everybody's just on board. It'll be like our own secret code. Next year, in 2014, we're going to be introducing rules of the show. Yes. Great idea by me, just on the fly. Beautiful. Uh, But I'm not going to get into who is or is not going to do the show and what I've heard from top men in the industry. Matt, I'm glad I could help your liver from not dying. Uh-oh. Were you drinking so hard because the show was that bad on Wednesdays, man? Give me a break. So, no, even in private, even if I know you, and there's only one person, well, two, obviously the person that won't come on the show knows. There's only one other person that knows what I'm talking about in the whole wide, vast world. Yes, one. That's right. I had to do a quick uh, quick research. But hey, if you don't want to do the show, man, you don't do the show. That's fine. The show moves on with or without you. Reminds me of a great song. With or without you. Not only is this the last show of 2013, folks, believe it or not, I can say with 100% assurity, that come January 7th, we will be broadcasting live and direct from the new Palatial Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios, ladies and gentlemen! Yeah. Which means I give thanks and praise to uh, our dear friends uh, Amy and Ed Levon from the Wycliffe Levons. For letting me set up shop here over the last, I mean, has it been five, six weeks now? Thanks to them. Uh, either next weekend, or this coming weekend or next, I will be uh, closing up the shop here and moving all the equipment back over to the new Barbecue Central Radio Network studios, which we were finally given keys to just this past Friday. As I was, uh, let me tell you something that sucks. Being 39 and moving a house that you lived in for 12 years into a new house. That sucks. Get the 
big step out of here. That sucks. Bad. Because you hurt for days on end. And trust me, the second day after you move is the worst. Guess what today is? The worst. Oh, no! The worst. We suck again! I'm never moving again. Never moving. But nevertheless, we'll be in. What's the bottom line? You wouldn't even know if I moved anyway. With this green screen thing, you know, I could be in Timbuktu. I could be in the basement of a house on West 25th Street. Get that big stuff out of here. Let me tell you something. Anybody can pull that reference? I'll give you a bottle of barbecue sauce. Free of charge. Give me the West 25th Street reference. What is that referencing? I will give you free bottle of barbecue sauce. Three moves equals one good fire. The amount you throw away. Dave, from your lips to God's ears. Let's just say uh, 50% of the family doesn't believe in that. You never know when you're going to need it. Dave, you ever heard this one before? You never know when you're going to need that again. As my good friend Tracy Morgan. Yo! Yo, David, you never know when you're going to need that, man. Yo, you might need that piece. You got to go wear that and get everybody pregnant. You never know if you're going to need it. Don't throw that out. That's crazy. Hey, I'm more of the thrower-outer. Other people, they like to hold on. You never know. Never know. Never know. All right. The Warriors. Matthew, that is incorrect. If you're a fan of, trust me, this made national news, folks. The West 25th Street uh, reference. That made national news. I am not kidding. Oh, I wish I had time for this. Uh, I do want to reference a guy that made a post on my Facebook page, Midnight Steve Ray. And he posted on my Facebook, don't buy the cheap cooker. You know, there's many a time on the show when I have said, hey, you know, resist temptation. If you're looking to get into the industry, if you want to break into the barbecue and grilling scene, or just the barbecue scene because grilling falls underneath it, don't cheap out. Don't buy the $60 Brinkman smoker. Don't buy the $99 Fiesta grill at Target. It's not going to encourage you to cook more. It's going to encourage you to fill it for dirt and use it as a friggin' flower pot. Challenge. Did I miss something? Man, you guys always looking for a handout. Cheap bastards. God damn. Donnie Bray coming up out of the break. Quickly, let me talk to you about the good folks over at the Barbecue Guru located in Warminster, Pennsylvania. The Barbecue Guru is the makers of automatic temperature control devices. Uh, They created this whole technology, believe it or not. Why would you buy anywhere else? Are there other people that make them? Yeah. Did they create it? No. Are they as wells, me too's, also haves, also rans? Yeah, that's right. Go with the company that A has backed this show for eight plus years now and more importantly has the technology and know how to further advance automatic temperature control technology. Now, maybe you're not familiar with how these 
little beauty's work. Yeah? I'm not going to get into the minute details, but a managed product that allows you to set your pit temperature in one set keeps it running at that temperature all the way through the cook. Sound too good to be true? It's not. This is real life. You can take advantage of this technology today. Now, maybe you're a busy working professional like me, or perhaps you are constantly on the run with kids doing errands, and quite frankly, and you just don't have the time to set around and tend pit temperatures. I totally get it. The barbecue guru allows you to throw on a pork butt or a brisket, couple slabs of ribs, and then you're off to do whatever it is you need to get done. The barbecue guru maintains that pit temperature you set it at. There's currently four different models to choose from. There seems to be one for every budget as well. You have the CyberQ Wi-Fi. You have the DigiQ DX2, the CyberQ2, the PartyQ, which evidently is getting a facelift. The PartyQ, $129. $129. Wait. Oh. Um, $129. Easiest point of entry for automatic temperature control devices. And then step up from there. If you just want something that's going to be like the cruise control of uh, pit temperatures, you don't want it to do internal temperatures of meat and have the ramp device and all that stuff, Particue's the way to go. You can move it to five different cookers if you want. If you're in the market for a cooker, as I just mentioned, Onyx Oven, there's also going to be a new one coming out next year, according to Bob Trudnack from last week's interview. So do yourself a favor. Head on over to the Barbecue Guru, thebbqguru.com. Check out their products. If you have any questions about what to order, call them directly. 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. They'll make sure you're outfitted with exactly what you need to get you up and running right out of the box. It's a breakthrough in barbecue technology, the Barbecue Guru. We're back right after this. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, we are back. 877-448-0433, Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com. Those are the two ways to get in touch with me. Coming up in about uh, 21 minutes from now, Rod Gray from Pellet Envy, helping me close out the show and close out the year and, you know, whatever else you want to say. Uh, my next guest here in the second hour uh, ends up taking second place in the Team of the Year race for the Kansas City Barbecue Society. He is the pitmaster of Warren County Pork Choppers, and he has been on the show uh, a few different times. Let's uh, welcome back friend of the show, Donnie Brick. Uh Donnie, how are you, buddy? Hello? Donnie? No. Get that big stuff out of here. All right. Is there something I don't know? Uh, Jeff, Josh, meat market in Cleveland. Oh, Josh, no, this wasn't an email contest, Josh. I'm sorry. I was just asking you to holler out in the chat. Uh, Legend of Black Marianne. What the hell does that mean? Matthew, lag is getting bad again. That has nothing to do with me, Matt. That has everything to do with your own internet connection. Upgrade to more than one and a half megabits a second, you tool. Spend the cash, bro. Spend the cash. 
Um, did anybody get the reference right? No, Adam, nobody got the reference right. That's fine. Maybe it's more local than I thought, and it just happened to make all the national news because it was, you know. I'm not going to say too much. I'm not going to say too much. Do it yourself. Do it yourself. All right. Let me try Donnie again here. Maybe we got some, uh, maybe we got our own uh, interwebs issues. Go. Let's see. No. All right. Ah, here we go. Here we go. Oh, oh. Wait. Oh, he was just calling. Oh, sometimes Skype annoys me to no end. Oh, you're a rat bastard. He's, I can. I know he's there for crying in the sink. Do you even say that anymore, crying in the sink? 877-448-0433, Greg at the BBQ Central Show. Marianne was killed in the outdoor market on 25th Street, and now there's supposedly a ghost. No, that's not it. Get that big stuff out of here. Barbecue food kinger. Lag is bad. Should I turn off the porn? Yes. Always turn off the porn. I mean, that's your point. If you don't want to turn off the porn, then don't turn off the porn. What do you want me to tell you? That's uh, that's your decision, not mine. All right. Uh, joining me now, uh, Pitmaster of Warren County Pork Shop, Donnie Gray on the show. Donnie! How are you, buddy? What's up? Well, we are uh, just loving life here in the big cleave. Uh, what's happening? I mean, you are well decorated for the holiday season, Don. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt about I'm, it. I'm ready. Now, uh, are you one of those, uh, well, maybe it wasn't even you, or maybe it was your wife. Are you guys uh, those people that love to get uh, decorated for Christmas, like right after Halloween, or like what's the deal out there? Well, we would have, but we was uh, running down the road chasing. <laughs> Donnie Bray joining me here on the show. Uh, all right, Donnie. So uh, we've got a bunch of different stuff here we can talk about. Obviously, uh, you and uh, Tim Grant involved in uh, quite a heated team of the year race, as uh, just led up uh, a couple weeks ago down in Calhoun, Georgia. Maybe we could start there first. Um, Either one of well, uh, you know, if you win, you take team of the year. Uh, if obviously, if Tim would have won outright, um, I guess that would have made for a little bit more of a uh, dramatic win on, on his end. But nevertheless, uh, he finishes. Uh, I forget the exact place is now a reserve grand, I think it was, and uh, through the body of work over the course of the year, takes uh, team of the year. As you look back on it, uh, team of the year race. Where are you? How, how do you? How are you? How were you with the finish at Calhoun? Was there any disappointment? You know, from a competitor's aspect, how did you feel? You, you know, I wasn't really disappointed. Um, I'll just say it like it is. You know, the sun don't shine up one dog's ass all the time. So <laughs> I'd had a, a really good run, um, and, and you just know it's going to happen. Uh, I didn't have a good cook. Uh, I wasn't on my game, and. And he was, and you know, it, 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 the cards fell where they, where they were supposed to fall, I guess. So I really didn't have a major regret. I just, uh, you know, it, it would have been great if I could have conquered all, but you know, there, the, the cards that were stacked up, it, it was just, uh, it may have been a little bit more than mentally I could handle that way, but, um, and, and I choked. 
So uh, did I have it? I, I don't know. I mean, man, I tell you what, right there that that contest, Jim Berg, uh, Scott Smith, uh, those, all those guys in Georgia, and and I'll say it, I I I I think I've earned the right to say I cook from one end of this United States to the other, and that's the toughest group of people that there is. And and to say yeah, I'm gonna beat them, all of them, and and Tim and Boyd. Uh, that's a big. I can't. I mean, that's just too much to swallow at one time without a uh, keg of beer to wash it down. <laughs> Donnie Bray joining me here on the show, Pitmaster Warren County Pork Choppers. You know, I guess uh, you know when you talk to the top tier pitmasters, uh, and obviously, uh, certainly this year, you've uh, proven yourself worthy of that praise. Typically, you don't hear guys just offer up the "I choked" in a competition type deal, but you went right to it. Uh, were you? Were you embattled in the mind a little bit, thinking about what was at stake versus just trying to, to focus on the marks and hitting what you had done leading up into that contest? I think the a few things that I stumbled upon um, throughout the year that, that are just, um, you know, like trying to... Like like trying to stick a needle in a haystack type thing that I'd found. Uh, I don't feel like that I had uh, my mindset to be able to reproduce those like I needed to. Uh, it, it's a very fine line. Uh, uh, my my whole thing I say is you got to learn how to cook it till it's done. So the the perfect texture will get you further than any kind of a, a profile favor, uh, flavor profile that's just would knock their socks off. And, and I think I missed that just a little bit. And, uh, I don't know, I was a little bit fatigued and I, I don't know, just looking at it in my mind, looking back, it, it was, uh, I, I did my best and it was just one of those. that wasn't a hundred percent and we just have those, but, I don't have any regrets. I, I tell you, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I sort of missed Tim and Boyd. You know, it was like <laughs> uh, they, I just felt like I stayed in bed with them all year, you know, and it's like that uh, uh, they become buddies. Uh, you know, it's just no, uh, the last couple of weeks I, I've missed that of looking on online, see how they did, uh, knowing what I did. It was a, it was a wonderful thing to have a, a race that went down like that. And I, and I didn't come out of it with any regrets whatsoever. I, I, I wouldn't have dreamed that I'd been that, that far, but it, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I hope everybody that cooks barbecue gets a chance to experience what I did this year. You know, I know last year's team of the race with Dan Hickson was uh, kind of down to the wire, but you know, this year's race kind of harkened me back to the 2009 when you had Pellet Envy and Iowa Smoky D's and I Smell Smoke in this three-way going down to uh, Arizona to battle it out at the end, and of course Rod Gray ends up winning that in Team of the Year in 2009, and this one kind of had a similar flavor to it, all leading down to that final event. You know, looking at it, kind of pulling yourself out of the pitmaster's view. How exciting was it to be in that at the last event, knowing that really it all kind of hung in the balance? Uh, I don't know if I can re reproduce the excitement. Um, I, I feel like I had the best seat in the house. Um, you know, the, Tim had his runs. I had my runs. Uh, you know, we stayed relatively neck and neck. Um, I know that um, a few things I learned from 2013 I'm taking into 2014 
Uh, I had said, oh, I need a break. I, I don't believe I was, I don't believe my smoker had cooled off and I felt like I was ready to go again. So we'll be back in Lakeland, Florida, uh, trying to reproduce something. I, you know, I, I'll say this in, uh, and, in, in trying to, to keep it where I'm not beating on anybody, but I really hope that, uh, you know, the, the Midwest, I think that I hope that they would try to hold Tim back a little bit because I know that the over here in the, uh, in the Southeast, there's some guys that are really picked up and got strong at the end of this season. And I know they're going to make it hard on me. And I don't think, uh, you know, Tim and I may have had our only day, but I know that he'll be back going strong at it and I'll be going back strong at it. But I know there's a few more teams that's probably got the ammunition that they need to make their run. So we may be playing second string to them, but I had such a good time to answer your question. I'm going to give my whole heart and soul to try to get back in the game for 2014. Donnie Bray joining me here on the show, pitmaster of Warren County Pork Choppers. Uh, WarrenCountyPorkChoppers.com, the website as well. You can visit there. Uh, Donnie, you would mentioned a little bit earlier you'd cooked from one side of the country uh, to the other side. Uh, you're in Kentucky, uh, I guess, to some, uh, its own region of barbecue, not the uh, traditional uh, meccas that you would consider when you're looking at the barbecue regions, but certainly a, a whole kind of a niche barbecue market, uh, Kentucky, you know, the mutton and so forth. Let me ask you this. As you cross the country, were you cooking specific flavor profiles for where you were at, or was it the same regardless, east to west and north to south? It was the same. What what I what I think part of my my success was toning down a, a profile, focusing more on the consistency of the meat of what it would be. You know, you hear judges say it all the time. I couldn't taste the meat. Uh, I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. So you know, some of those judges, not to hammer on their glasses half empty and not half full. So I toned all of my stuff down. Used the basic. Just, you know, just to, if you were sitting at Aunt Martha's uh, dinner table on Wednesday night and you got mashed potatoes, you might hit them with a little bit of salt. Uh, that That's the same theory behind barbecue. Just make it pleasurable to your mouth. And, um, you know, I went to um, North Carolina and people say, oh, you're going to use a vinegar base. No, no, I'm not. I'm going to use the same thing. So I didn't change anything. If anything, I toned it down. And, and made it pop in the box with something that would be uh, pleasurable to everybody, no matter where you was from. I remember I did an interview with Mike Davis from Laudable Barbecue many years back, and he said he kind of like coined this phrase saying, I was trying to make the least offensive barbecue that uh, they were going to be tasting that day. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> Donnie... Good food is good food. I think that's Rod Gray's uh, saying, and... That, that's what you have to do. You know, don't don't get too overpowering with anything. Just make it good food. Uh, make it pleasurable. Cook it until it's done. Make sure that, uh, you know, it's not dry. Make sure it's moist. And, and it'll fly just about anywhere you put it. Um, our deal going from Las Vegas, you know, that was a little bit weird. You know, I won the KCBS part of that. I don't think I got any credit for it other than what was online. I, I really didn't understand after driving umpteen thousand miles how that went down but uh, you know I won that we come back to Cummins Georgia I didn't change any flavor profiles there one thing it did help me that they dropped chicken so that uh, that advanced me quite a bit because I feel like chicken is a little bit 
holds me back. We, the next week in Cummins, Georgia, get reserved by one point and then go to Plant City, Florida, and win that, obviously, with Tim. Um, no, no difference. Everything was the exact same flavor profile. Um, just thinning sauces down to where it's, you know, uh, uh, trying to hit what those judges want. You know, they don't want anything overpowering or messy or anything like that. And just uh, less is more and cook it till it's done. I feel got me uh, those good scores across the United States in a three-week period. Don, you did a number of contests during the course of 2013. As you look back and you know, maybe even had time to sit down and really uh, recount the whole year uh, from start to finish, but do you have a favorite contest of the year regardless of how you finished that one? Yeah, I guess it would probably have to be Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, it's a situation that uh, is close to home. Uh, that was the one that for the very short period of time that Tim reminded me that I was in first place. Um, I think uh, I had won that contest before. It was the one that that, uh, that sort of got me up where I needed to be and really felt like that I had a reason to continue to cook hard. So I'm going to take that one as the one that sticks in my mind most for 2013. What about favorite win of the year? And you did a lot of that as well, but your your favorite win that you'll take through with you when you think about that uh, great year you've had. Oh, wow. I guess uh, McMinnville, Tennessee, number seven for the Jack. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, the Jack is a pretty big deal, right? <laughs> Excuse me? I said the Jack's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah, you know, uh, after you've been a few times, it, uh, it's another, uh, just another contest. But the people that you meet and, uh, you know, the things that, uh, things that you see and being able to be one of the few that, uh, that make it into that makes it, uh, makes it pretty cool. Right time of the year, perfect, pretty place to be. Uh, and, you know, it's just something that most people don't want to be left out of. There's a lot of teams that hadn't ever made it. So I don't want to sell it short because I've been there. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, it's something that we all strive to do. Um, you know, I wish it was one of those like, uh, pro golf or one of those old oh, gosh, if I get there and I win that, it'd be a million dollars and, and, uh, the rights to fame forever. Uh, it's, it is that, but it's just in our minds because we, we put it on a pedestal. Donnie, was there at the beginning of the year when you did the first contest, or maybe even before that when you were kind of looking at the, the contest set up for the course of this year, was there a team of the year chase already implanted at that point, or did you start out saying, hey, we're going to hit these, and uh, all of a sudden you find yourself where you're at, uh, higher up in the ranks, and you said, hey, we got a chance to pull this thing off. Let's really get rolling on it. Yeah, I, I really didn't ever say that I was making a run for it. I had a lot of my friends say that. Uh, basically it started last year, uh, getting to go to the, uh, to the banquet. I went to the banquet and it was being in Kansas city. I hadn't been there. Um, some of the things that went on were just over the top to me. It just, it won me over. I had a great time. And then, uh, I remember walking back to the room after the awards banquet, I told my wife, I said, I don't care what I got to do. I'm coming back next year. I'm stepping it up, and I'm going to give everything I got. Of course, with that, I, I sort of put my smoker that I have so much sentimental value. It's just in the barn, but I changed smokers. I had a new trailer built. I changed everything but the name of the team uh, to go for getting back to the 
to the banquet. Uh, had a couple of wins. Things started looking good. Really, it didn't it didn't dawn on me to deep deep in the season that that there was anything remarkable that was going to happen about it. Um, it was just trying to get back to the banquet is what it started. You know, just had a, had a little taste of blood in my mouth last year, and it's like uh, the people, gosh, uh, Mike Davis trying trying to show me what the deal was with buying the the tickets for the the bordering of the of the contest and all the things that went down. Uh, I was uh, I was a latecomer. People have been doing that since 1986, and it was my first time, and it just blew me away. My skirt got blowed over my head. <laughs> Donnie Bray joining me here on the show, Pitmaster Warren County Pork Choppers. Uh, Donnie, have you already kind of looked at where you might be heading for next year, or uh, if not, when do you plan on uh, getting around and taking a look at the competition schedule? Well, um, it's any anything to say what i'm gonna do i got 17 contests lined up up and not up till june not counting june so uh 40 was 41 was a good number for tim so i'm gonna take 42 for 2014 (laughs) i don't plan on sleeping no not if you're doing 42 i can guarantee you're gonna be doing everything (laughs) but sleeping no doubt about it um donnie one last question here before i let you go and i appreciate the time tonight uh, you know, you've seen a good amount of success here over the past couple of years. Uh, if you look back, is there, you know, one or two things that you can really point to that have done you and the team well? Yeah, I think um, I think understanding uh, what what the judges want, uh, just just listening to people talk and trying to reproduce it. You know, it's so easy for us to get in our mind what we like, and what we like doesn't matter. Um, you, you know, just uh, trying not to overpower things. Uh, once I under, started understanding each category, and, and that, that's all part of it, uh, getting four categories to hit. Don't try to knock one of them out of the park. Get them all four level and have a level cook. So it's really hard to hold in your mind, uh, that's okay with chicken, just let it hit. That's okay with pork, just let it hit. And let it be moderate and uh, and modest and 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 just taste good, and get four categories that'll work. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing. And it's hard to do because you really want to keep changing each one of them to try to make each one of them win. Uh, you know they'll win every once in a while, but just let them get calls and and uh, sort of like NASCAR. You know, win the races and the, the points will follow. Donnie, uh, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Um, gosh, uh, I don't know. I guess it's, uh, the one with, uh, the little angel that every time rings a bell there, that they, they get their wings. What's the name of that one? It's a wonderful uh, life. It's a wonderful life. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jibber Rogers was at it. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's all I got. Uh, Donnie Bray joining me here on the show, pit master of Warren County pork choppers. Uh, winds up second place, ta- uh, Kansas City Team of the Year race, uh, which was hotly contested and finished up just a few weeks ago. Donnie, uh, really appreciate you coming on tonight to kind of have a look back. And uh, congratulations on a great season. Uh, happy uh, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, I guess, uh, first of all, and then uh, uh, Happy New Year after that. And we'll look forward to you again next year. Yes, sir. I, I, I feel like that, um, that Tim was a man for the – 
for team of the year this year. He he really put his heart into it. I think I was uh, second because of what my heart was and what I wanted out of it. He planned it early in the game and and got what he deserved. And uh, really look, I really look up to him and Boyd both. But uh, next year maybe I'll try a little bit harder and change the tide there. There he is. All right, Donnie, appreciate it. Donnie Bray, Warren County Pork Chopper. Watch out. Heart's not in it. Tim Grant, you are on notice. He's coming in locked and loaded next year, baby. Yeah. Uh, Rod Gray coming up out of the break. Arno Smokers, we're talking about him right now. If you've been looking for a custom pit without the hefty price tag, maybe Arno Smokers you should be looking at. You can mention the Barbecue Central Show and receive additional discounts off the already low price. For more information, follow the link on the Facebook page, which can be found at my website. Click on their logo or visit the sponsor or links page, and that will get you right to their Facebook page. Or you can email Billy Overton or Tony Belay, respectively, Billy, B-I-L-L-I-E, underscore, R-O-Smokers at Yahoo.com. Or Tony, underscore, R-O-Smokers.com. Uh, they will both be able to answer any and all of your questions. And don't forget to check out their Facebook page regularly for weekly drawings from their barbecue partners as well. Again, that's Arno Smokers, and you can visit their Facebook page by visiting my website, then clicking their logo or visiting the links or the sponsors show page. Arno Smokers, proud sponsor of the show. Happy to have them aboard. All right, uh, Rod Gray coming up out of the break from Pelodendi. Stick around. Be right back. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs. And the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. All right, we are back. 877-448-0433. Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. My next guest, pitmaster of Pellet Envy Barbecue Team. He does cooking classes. This is creator of the Eat More Barbecue line of rubs and sauces. Won the Barbecue Pitmasters TV show title this year. And you can catch him appearing here on this show every once in a while. Let's go ahead and welcome back, friend of the show, Rod Gray. Rod, how are you? What's going on, Greg? Rod, I am uh, anxiously ready to close out the year. What about you? I'm anxiously ready to close out your show. Yeah? Yeah. Right. That's what I'm here for, buddy. Hey, I appreciate it. All right, so uh, let me see what we can get into tonight here, Rod. Uh, first, uh let me compliment. Wait, let me start. Wait, wait, wait. Let me start. Yeah. A Christmas Story is my favorite. Uh, yes. Christmas show. Yeah. Uh, going to put your West, eye out. West Tenth Street, here on the west. Well, hence the west side. But uh, is the house that it was actually filmed in, right here. I've ah. I have been through that house. You're full of useless trivia. Hey, I'm full of a lot more than useless trivia. I can tell you that. Let me a pan you heard... Your camera just got. Really big. There we go. All right. And uh, I want to. I just want to. I want to break the news right now that yeah. uh, it's me that won't come on your show. This is my last show. Oh, I'm going to do this year. <laughs> it's me. Damn. Well, at least you have the balls to say it to my face, Rod. The balls. Uh, let me compliment you just for a second while we're trading mutual respect. Let me compliment you on here just for a second. You know, I have thousands of Facebook friends and Twitter followers, but I must say. You know, when it comes to the Facebook, you are easily one of my top two people that I really look forward to reading your posts. Uh, let's say witty, insightful, inquisitive. Best of all, never too long, because truth be told, I hate reading in general. Is it just natural for you to be 
the way you are on the Facebook, or is this some type of a, a thing that you've honed with the Facebook mastery? Well, first, I want to know who the other person is so I can get him kicked off of Facebook because I want to be number one. <laughs> That's a secret. Um, it's you know what? It's just the way I think. Truthfully, it, this, I just I sit, whatever I'm doing, I'll have this thought and and uh, without thinking about it, I'll put it on Facebook. You know, some of them are good, some of them flop. Some of them are planned. Some of them are completely spontaneous. You just never know. All right, so let's get into some topics tonight here, Rod. And, uh, you know, we're just kind of uh, running the gamut of things. I made a Facebook post, and you actually started answering a bunch of questions, which has uh, either helped and or – Rod, what are you doing? Uh, which is uh, either I'm helped – messing around my headphone. It's, it's a mess. This is a mess. This thing's wow, cheap. look at that. Once you send me better equipment, I'll do a better job. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll set you up. I'll get you an ISDN line and a big professional microphone for next year. That's my resolution next year, Rod. Nice, nice. Let's start here first. Uh, the KCBS scoring sheet showing the tables of death as reality. Rumored to be, you know, like people, oh, I must have hit a bad table. or, Well, yeah, this really shows if you really hit a bad table. So is this something where a vocal minority are causing a stir, or is this something that really is going to have to be addressed to ensure the continued popularity of the sport? It's not a sport. Nothing yes, you it can is. do while drinking a beer is considered a sport. Golf's a sport. If it's Bowling's a sport. A sport. I'm an athlete. You're an athlete. Um, so here's so here's my take on it. We've always had the bad table, which we just always thought it was mythical. We could never prove it. Now we can prove it. But what no one's talking about is the good table. What about the angel table that awards you the scores that are actually too high? Yeah. yeah. Um. You you know it averages itself out. Yeah, there's some hideous tables out there. Yeah, we hit them sometimes, and yeah, it ruins our contest. But it's been going on forever. This is just this is just the way we can now prove it. From what I hear, and this is only a rumor that I know of, they're going to do away with letting you see that table in 2014. Now, it's not going to do away with the table itself. It's just going to do away with the, us being able to see that it's happening, which to me is a step back now, which is typical of KCBS anymore. Is there a way? And let's take it to both sides. I mean, let's not just criticize the people that are the table of death but if you have the angel table as well is there a way to go back and can you retrain yeah you can retrain sure it's going to take some effort though um it's going to take some effort to single out those people so you're going to have to track judges first of all once you've tracked them then you're going to have to approach them and retrain them but you need to retrain the ultra high judges also the ones that get straight nines all the time right they're going to have to be retrained as well so what percentage of our of our judging pool are going to be retraining and can we afford to do that? Uh, should it should it should that not even matter? Shouldn't you do it regardless? Standard operating procedures, you want to have the ability to to be equally judged from north to south and east to west and uh, whether it is a small percentage or not, you you want to have the the most level playing field that you can possibly have. Uh, sure we do. But what, but what are we headed for? Are we headed for a, an 876 system? If we retrain the low judges and the high judges, are we just trying to narrow it down? Should we just go ahead and make it a three-numbered system and be done with it? Or should we put a decimal point in there and do a three-numbered system? I mean, I mean uh, we can tinker with it all we want. Ultimately, it's subjective to judge barbecue, and you're going to have some people who never have anything good, and you're going to have some people who never have anything bad. So bottom line, is it is it okay – Holding the fact that you can just see it now, if you didn't, is everything pretty much okay as it is? It's status quo. It's status quo. The whole system needs work. You know, 
we need work in a lot of aspects of competition barbecue. We need to be more spectator friendly. Um, you know, some of this is my idea. Some of it I borrow it from from people like Sterling Ball. You know, Sterling has a great attitude about what competition barbecue should be. Sometimes um, one of those is that we that we cater more to the folks who come to see us. I totally agree with that idea. I have since the days of ABA, which is back about 2002, 2003, when uh, Fast Eddie was doing a whole separate sanctioning body where we turned in late in the day on Saturday with the whole purpose being for people to see us. But yeah, we need some work there. Sure. Rod Gray joining me here on the show. PelletEnvy.com is his website. Uh, all right, I'm going to diverge over to the Facebook posts here and see. Uh, now these could be any these could be anything, Rod. So you know if you don't if you don't want to. Can we skip the gay marriage one though? Why? No you, offense. God damn Easter you know own, you but... know I'm going right there. What's your take and thoughts on gay marriage, Rod? Weigh in. <laughs> to each their own. As long as I'm not the bride or the groom, to each their own. All right, fair enough. Uh, next question. Should any team consider try any team as in any team try or consider trying out for TV shows or perhaps is there more thought that needs to go into it that TV isn't just for everybody no matter what? Well, TV isn't for everybody, but not in the way you think. It, I, I don't think it's about the upper echelon of cooks, and that's not what TV even wants. TV wants the personalities, they want the characters, they want the energy, they want the outlandish part of a person. They don't want someone who just cooks great barbecue. You know, um, when I was on the show, I'll be honest with you, when we would win one, I, I would feel like Tiger Woods. I thought I was running around fist pumping. You see the show and I'm standing there like a big lump of shit, not doing much of anything, but that's not how I felt. But you know, how you feel doesn't, doesn't translate to the, to the camera. They want people who, who are active and energetic and really follow themselves. Um, so you don't have to be a great cook to be on the show, but you have to be, you have to be a personality. Is that advancing the agenda of competition barbecue in any form or fashion? Having personality versus having good barbecue cooks? It, the way you frame it, I would tell you no, it's not advancing competition barbecue. But the fact that the, who's, the show never said they wanted to advance competition barbecue. They're just putting a show out. The byproduct of that show, regardless of how it comes across on television, is that there's a ton more interest in barbecue. A ton more regardless of how that show comes across. What is the most, what is most important to a full-time pro competitor at a barbecue contest? Coming in from Bob Morphew. Well, I think it's different things to different people. You know, we want a well-run contest. Um, we want a contest where we have the ability to not win and at least break even, I mean, which, which translates to a contest that maybe isn't so top heavy to spread around a little bit. You're happy with yourself. You're reading something funny. No, um, I, I had that. That was my, that was going to be one of my questions. Big name, big, big, big name, big, big events that uh, are, are advertised well, that bring a lot of people out. That's important to me because it's important to my sponsor, Grease Lightning, that we be as front of, in front of as many people as possible. So everybody has a unique set of criteria for what makes a great contest. Um, for me, it's different things on different days. When traveling down a dark and lonesome highway, is it talk radio, is it sports talk, is it easy listening, or is it head banging on your radio? I'm a huge Howard Stern fan. I'm a oh, serious satellite radio listener. Um, so Rod I listen to Stern quite a bit. I listen to Jay Thomas. 
and then I listen to some music on Sirius. But, you know, even when I'm in Kansas City, I don't listen to local radio. It's all serious radio for me. This is a question I was fielding a lot of uh, maybe two months ago, and it's kind of tapered off. Um, Ray Lampy kind of weighed in it, and, or weighed in on it, and I would like to get your take on it as well. And this has to do with backyard events. Uh, are backyard events good or bad to prep for the traditional circuit events? And, and Ray's take was, look, you know, reach with your right hand between your legs, squeeze, and if it hurts, you got a pair of testicles, just jump in the regular circuit and take your lumps like everybody else. You know, what? he, he doesn't understand the concept of, you know, backyard. Um, I'm not against backyard events. I think if someone wants a competition light uh, to jump in and do a backyard event, for one, some people don't have the ability to be away from home that much. So roll your... Weber kettle out on Saturday morning, cook some ribs and chicken, turn it in. If you do well, maybe you catch the bug and you and you buy a bigger smoker and you come out and cook with us. But I, I'm not against the backyard event. I've seen some contests where backyards events essentially took over from a KCBS sanctioned event, but that was mostly to save money. That was all about greed. It wasn't really about about one being better than the other. I'm not against a backyard event. I've never cooked in one, and I probably well, obviously now I never intend to. But but you know what? There, there's room for everybody here. You know, there's the term backyard event, and then I don't know if it's a, a self-given pro series uh, that, you know, you are on, that Tim is on, Donnie's on. Uh, I mean, are you guys pros? Is there, is it, do you, are you in a professional circuit? I don't think our circuit is a professional circuit. I think there are some bar- barbecue, I think there are some guys who have barbecue as a career that you might call a professional you know, I don't know that we're pro anything. Um, it, it's not a pro circuit. Guys who have real jobs come out and cook with us and win against us, beat us. So I don't know. I never liked the term pro, really. Um, I guess I'm probably one of the few pros on the circuit, but I, I, I don't like the term. So the follow-up question to that, and it seems like I've asked this question to a number of different people, but is – the elite se- elite series or or perhaps a professional uh, level of barbecue where uh, for for instance you are sponsored by you know so and so you're signed to a contract and it's you and 20 teams uh, traveling around to 20 different contests in 20 different places with the same judges uh, and it's it's sanctioned by somebody uh, but there's money to be had here it's not just you expensing a whole bunch of stuff and hoping you get back to even uh, you're making a sizable income. Is that possible? Uh, I don't know if it's possible, but it sounds like I'd love to try it. Um, I uh, Here's my issue. To do that, I think you have to have some way to promote it, and that may be televising it. And, and, and I'm just going to tell you, barbecue is boring. Yeah, It's a lot of hours of fat guys sitting around and brushing up lawn chairs, drinking beer while they wait for meat to cook. Uh, and and doing stupid things, we'd probably have to turn into something like Big Brother where we're pranking on each other or whatever during the downtime. But I'd love to see it happen. I'm just not sure that Competition Barbecue really is the, the perfect venue. The television, you know, would enjoy that. I just don't know. I'd love to see it happen, though. Do television producers make you say, number two, that's me, Pellet Envy Barbecue? 
They do make us say that, Greg. They make us say a lot of things, um, and you can resist it, but they're going to keep after you until you finally say what you want them to. So you finally become the trained monkey that does what you're told the first time so they don't keep beating on you. Is there any thought that the viewing audience might have at least one brain in their head that can see and make that connection after the fifth time? You know what? There is. And, and let me tell you that as this season went along, the season four, the truth is, if you'll notice, in the beginning of the season, it started out with the That's Me, Pellet Envy number three. And as we moved through the semifinal into the final, they quit making us say it because they heard the audience and they acknowledged that that was getting old and tired and they did something about it. So they hear they, they, they hear the feedback. And, and if they can make a change for the positive, they'll make it. And they did. You watch that series over from, from, from episode one through episode 13, you'll see that. That, that that's me, Pelton V number three, go away. Um, and the first one we did it, the second one we kind of did it, the final we didn't do it at all. Oh, I just lost my spot. Where is it? Oh, uh, when you're done competing, Rod, have you given any consideration to becoming a comedian or late-night talk show host? Uh, I... You know, the day when I don't compete is coming. I don't know when it is. Uh, if I could pull that off, I'd love to try it. But I, I think it'd just be you and me and no listeners if I tried that. Looking at each other. You look like you need to take a piss, honestly. You're kind of dancing around and looking around. I don't know what you're doing. Oh, man, I got 50 different things going on here. I'm just trying to stay on top of the game. Um, How can you have 50? I'm the only guy you're talking to. Yeah, but I have multiple screens. I'm looking to make sure I'm not missing anything on the chat room. I'm watching a time clock. You know, I'm very busy, man. One day, Rod, you might... Show me your hands. I want to see your hands. Put them up. Okay. Is there any hair on your palms? Hey. All right. Come on. Trust me, the way I do it, I burn the hair right off. <laughs> Give you lessons. Um, how? So let's talk about this money thing just for a second. How can a team make money to offset the cost of competing... And perhaps part and parcel of that, how does one attract sponsorship at any kind of level? Well, <clears throat> let me just tell you that I get this question or, or some form of this question a lot. Why you suck on that empty beer you've been sucking on all night. Um, it's empty, Greg. Yeah, I just uh, emptied it. We just, uh, I get this question a lot. And there aren't many people who can go out on the circuit and be profitable just from competing, although it does happen. There's probably five or 10 of those guys in the country if they're really doing it seriously traveling. But in order for you to make some money back that you're not digging in your pocket every week for competition barbecue, you need to find some form of, of sponsorship or assistance. Um, I don't like the word sponsorship because we're not the kind of barbecuers aren't the kind of folks that get sponsored. What we do is, is land in a marketing partnership where we have to do something or perform in a certain in a certain way. And in return, we get a little assistance, whether that be cash or product. And to do that, you need to think of a barbecue contest as a festival, not as a barbecue contest, because people don't understand barbecue contests, but they understand festivals, because festivals mean people, and you need to go talk to somebody, and you have to start small. And starting small means in the beginning, you're getting some product out of the deal. And then when you put together some numbers and show some folks where you've been, how far you've traveled, and who you've seen, maybe you can negotiate for some money. I've had a very lucky relationship with Grease Lightning that I'm happy to say will continue for the next, for the seventh year, 2014. Uh, they love us. We love them. We love the product. Um, and we're going to do some, we're going to do some work next year again. And, um, but let me tell you, being sponsored is hard work and it doesn't end when you get whatever the reward is, whether it be product 
or cash. It just starts then because you have to represent those people for an entire season or for whatever the length of time it is. I have so many people who get the check and they think they're done. It's not. That's where it starts. Yeah, I was going to say that's probably going to be the, you know, everybody wants to get the cash to help supplement their uh, expenditure out. But, you know, in the end, uh, you know, like me, like you, uh, there are things that you're going to be responsible for that's probably, if you don't have the foresight to plan it out properly, is going to be eating into your prep time. It's going to be screwing with your turn into. I mean, it's going to jack you yeah. all up. So you got to be prepared to make sure that if you get the money, that it's now business first and pleasure second. That's right. It is business first. So sometimes it's business before barbecue. You know, sometimes you're there to do a job and then also turn in some barbecue. It isn't always about your competition. Sometimes it's about what you need to do. If you take, if, if the listeners would take one thing away from this short conversation about sponsorship, let it be this. Always give more than you get and always do more than is expected of you. If you do that, your people will be happy and the odds of you getting more or being renewed will be great. What's the best fat kid must stop place to eat between Chicago and California? I mean, I know it's a very minute area that we're going to cover here. But, you know, what's the best place to stop? You know, I read that question on Facebook, and I don't have a clue. Um, I would tell you, go to Oklahoma Joe's in Kansas City. But that's not very far down the road between Chicago and, and California. And I'm not even sure if you come through here if you're going to Chicago, from Chicago to California. But, you know, I've traveled that path quite a bit. And the truth is, there's no great food along the highway. You've got to get off the highway to find it. And typically, we're always in the get there, get it done, and get home mode, and so we don't have time to venture off the highway. So I wish I had a fabulous question to that. I love to research and eat at great places. Look at me. You can tell. But not when I'm traveling to, to California and back. Rod Gray joining me here on the show. Uh, Rod, how do you determine your competition schedule for the season? Or is that dependent on how the season is progressing? For example, if you win the first few competitions of the year, will it put you into a team of the year chase mindset, or does it even have to stretch farther than that? <clears throat> my schedule is determined on, on a lot of factors. Um, one is my sponsorship requirements, where they ask me to go for the year. That's first and foremost. Two, the contests that I love, and there are there are several of those. Um, the Banjo BQ in Augusta, Georgia, the um, Tupelo contest in Mississippi in March, um, of course, the American Royal. But then beyond that, money is a factor, too. We're going to hit the big paying contest in hopes that we that we get a big payday. Um, the second part of your question about chasing team of the year, <clears throat> you know, I've done it, and it's a long, hard battle. I listened to Donnie Bray talk about it. He knows it's a long, hard battle. Tim Grant knows it's a long, hard battle. A lot of people know it's a long, hard battle. But if, if you get me to August and I'm somewhere in the chase, I will, I will turn my focus to team of the year and do my best to win it. Um, and I'll, I'll keep at it until mathematically I can't get it done. But there's a lot of season in front of you you've got to get through to even figure out if you're in that hunt. And I think Donnie, I look back, I think Donnie probably realized he was in the hunt uh, about the end of August. That's, that's when he either took the lead or got within striking distance of the lead. I can't remember the circumstances, but um, that's when the race began and it, and it, it went all the way to the end of November, similar to the race we had in 09. It wasn't quite as exciting um, with us, with, with a guy from Boston, a guy from Iowa, and a guy from Kansas City going back and forth across the country. But it was it was a pretty damn exciting finish to the year. Is it at all, you know, between the two, uh, they, they both had a chance to win 
outright, you know, if, if Tim would have won or GC the event, you know, he wins outright. If Donnie would have GC the event, he wins outright. And then to have uh, Tim finish reserve, he finishes ahead of Donnie. So I guess, you know, uh, there, there was a lot of people going, ah, well, if, you know, Donnie finishes ahead of Tim, but nobody wins and he's beat Tim twice. And then you go back and revert back to the body of work. So obviously Tim is going to win. Uh, people find that to be somewhat anticlimactic, uh, but these are the these are just the rules, and uh, sometimes you don't get what you want, right? Well, you know what you have to consider the whole body of work. You know, we're we're looking at a couple contests near the end of the year, but but we're not talking about March, April, May, and June. This was something achieved over a twelve month period, and and it finished the way it finished. But you're not talking about the early events. Tim Grant and Boyd Apps. True Bud Barbecue are the 2013 KCBS National Champions Team of the Year. It's said and done by the rules. We've accepted it in years past. Um, nobody balked about how we were, were cooking when we finished in 09. It, it just is what it is. Donnie should have cooked a little better going down the stretch. If he had, he'd have been Team of the Year. My hats are off to both. Of, my hat is off to both of those teams. They did a great job, and either one of them could have been Team of the Year. But this year, it, it turns out to be True Bud. I think uh, with the fact that Tim gets reserve grand at the last contest uh, kind of dismisses any type of upheaval that there could have been because my fear was if they both finished towards the back and Donnie would have finished ahead, there would have been a lot more internet scuttlebutt than there was. But, you know, Tim kind of squells, uh, quells, uh, there's a big word that squashes that uh, by finishing. <laughs> with so, but look, uh, let's be honest. I don't think we've ever seen as much winning in one season as Tim and uh, Boyd have been able to put together. No, I think I think they've got a record there, and I think they they I think that record really raised the bar. I think the last person to do something anywhere close to this um, was Mike Davis with an equal number of grands and reserves back yeah. about what two thousand six two thousand seven. I can't uh, remember the year twelve and twelve or something like that. Twelve and twelve. Yeah, yeah. You know, and here's another point. Um, I don't recall Donnie Bray coming to Kansas City and cooking against Tim Grant in his backyard where he was winning everything he put it, you know, he set his sights on. Um, but but Tim traveled down there because that's where the season happened to finish. And and why he maybe didn't do as well as to, to be as dominant as he was up here, um, bring Donnie up here to cook against Tim and see how it turns out. And then maybe people won't talk so much. Right. And, and wait, let me, let me finish. Yeah. Please understand. I'm not picking on one or the over. I'm just talking about about what went on. Yeah, this is kind of both great guys. It, it all finished up great. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had them both on a number of times uh, this year, and uh, I think there was a lot of you know mutual love, admiration club between the two of them, which I, I think a lot of people might have hoped there wouldn't have been as much likability between them two. Maybe uh, to see a little you know mano y mano uh, fiery bit, but you know, heaven forbid, uh, you know, the two guys like each other. They both want to see each other do well, but they both want to win at the end of the day, and uh, we had a great race on our hands, no doubt about it. Uh, Rod, you mentioned last time, and just a, even a few minutes ago, the Grease Lightning has re-signed uh, with Peladon for 2014, and you've built this really nice ongoing relationship with them over the past seven years that you mentioned. For the folks that haven't tried it or don't know about it, I mean, how good is Greased Lightning? Here's the thing about Greased Lightning. The people that don't try it don't know about it. The people that do love it. I have yet to have anybody walk up to me and say, you know what, I tried it, it's just okay. It's very value-oriented. I mean, you buy a big 40-ounce bottle for around three or four bucks. Um, it works on everything. We use it on our clothes, our shoes, our canopies, in our trailer, on our cookers. Um, it, it, everything but unpolished aluminum, it'll clean, and it'll do a fabulous job at Every day I get somebody telling me something new about how they used it, carpet stains, um, 
you know, clean their coolers, clean their tables. It's just a really great product. I, I love that they are happy with what we do. I love that we're seven years deep, which is pretty much unheard of as a sponsorship deal. Who goes seven years with the same sponsor at this level? And it's a, it's a major sponsorship for us. So very happy about that. Also, um, we're re-signed with the Kansas City Barbecue Store for 2014. So year two of that, they're happy with us. And uh, we're looking forward to 2014. It's going to be a diverse year. You know, we're going to work hard to promote the Eat Barbecue products. Um, we're going to work hard to promote Grease Lightning in the Kansas City Barbecue Store. And I think this year we'll have some, next year we plan to have some fun with it. Rod Gray, the pellet ma- or the pellet ma- the pit master of Pellet Envy. You can find the website at pelletenvy.com. And if there was a better way to close out 2013, you would be hard-pressed to find a better segment than Rod and I just put together. So if you missed it live, go back and get it on the podcast, bitch, because it's going to be awesome. Uh, Rod, always appreciate the time. Uh, Merry Christmas next week, and then Happy New Year after that, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Greg. I'm glad we are able to squelch that rumor about me never coming on the show again. Yeah, well, uh, good, and hopefully we can talk again soon when you never come back on. Thanks, Greg. There he uh, is. Good holiday. Rod Gray, Pelletendi. We are, uh, as they say in the business, uh, over time, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, Kevin Bevington is going to be uh, punching me in the face, no doubt about it. All right, let's uh, quickly do this. The iGrill, folks. Next generation of iGrill arrived. You can pre-order the iGrill Mini right now, iDevicesInc.com slash iGrill for $39.99. The iGrill has everything you love about the iGrill. Regular, but so much more. A smart little LED that indicates the progression of your temperature and lets you know when you are in and out of temperature range. Proximity wake-up to conserve battery life, an outstanding battery life of 150 hours. You get all these awesome features in a pocket-sized device at half the price of the original iGrill. $39.99, you get the iGrill Mini, one meat probe, and one probe wrap. The iGrill magnetically mounts to your grill or smoker and even comes with an attachable magnet in case you have a ceramic smoker or other non-magnetic surface. And a little info on the product itself, it's Bluetooth enabled. You can get up to 200 feet of range from it. You can pretty much do anything you want and feel relieved in the fact that that your food is going to be cooked perfectly and you're going to be able to gauge that temperature right from your smart device. You can set minimum and maximum temperature settings on the grill or smoker. If it gets too hot or cold, then your smart device will alert you. If you enter code CENTRAL at checkout for 15% off everything at iGrillInc.com, they ship at $50. Or any order over 50 bucks, they ship for free. So uh, be sure to stock up on a lot of the other accessories to get that free shipping price. The free iGrill app for iOS also has Facebook integration, so you can upload your pictures of what you're cooking right to the iGrill Facebook page, and it also has a globe feature so you can see every other iGrill around the world. It's great. Pre-order. iDevicesInc.com slash iGrill for the iGrill Mini. It's $39.99, or go to iGrillInc.com to get your regular iGrill and enter code CENTRAL at checkout for 15% off everything. The uh, I grill. We're wrap. Uh, we're back to wrap the show right up. Stick around. Broadcasting live from the barbecue. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. Uh, we're back. Way late. I am uh, racing through here to get the clothes out. All right, here we go. All the way back in the first hour, we had Stephen Reichler. BarbecueBible.com. We also had Maureen Ogle, MaureenOgle.com, and her book, which can be found at any bookstore or on Amazon. In Meat We Trust. Read it. Get a buyer beer book. 
Then in the second hour, Donnie Bray, WarrenCountyPorkChoppers.com. Uh, second place in the Team of the Year KCBS race. And helping me close out the show, Rod Gray from Peladem, Peladem.com and Greased-Lightning.com. Uh, that's going to do it for the remainder of the month. This is the last show. Uh, we'll be back, I believe it's January 7th, with new live shows. We'll be back in the new studio, broadcasting live there for the first time, so that's going to be exciting. We have a great year lined up for you. I want to wish every one of you a happy holiday season, a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah past, or whatever it is that you celebrate. Hope you're having a happy one of those or had a happy one of those. And, of course, a happy new year from January 1st. And we'll be back January 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, December 11th, 2001. I will never forget. And until that time, when we come back in the new year, your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night.